Good morning. You didn't think you'd get me two weeks in a row, did you? Welcome back, Pastor Tim. I'm still a little bit under the weather, so I'd appreciate your prayers, and if you could bring up the PowerPoint. What motivates you? What is it that directs your life? Is it money? Is it family? Is it self-worth? Is it some vague sense of duty and responsibility? Is there a sense of passion in your life that's the center of your life that dictates what you do and how you do it? You may or may not be able to articulate what motivates you, but if somebody took a look at your life and how you spend your time, your energy, and your money, they could determine what's important to you and therefore, to a large extent, determine what motivates you. When we look at Mark chapter 3, there are five different movements or situations. And as I looked at those, uh, there was uh, two common themes that came out. The first one, the main one, is the, the words kept coming up about people coming to Jesus. So the main theme I want to talk about is what motivated people to come to Jesus. And the secondary theme, which I'm going to talk about first... A little bit of an unusual topic is demons and unclean spirits. Demons are mentioned several times in this context. Uh, the first mentioned as part of Jesus' healing ministry, as people came to him to have the demons cast out of them. The topic of demons comes up when Jesus commissioned his 12 because he sent them out to preach and to cast out demons as part of their ministry. And finally, the religious leaders came to Jesus and accused him of casting out demons, claiming that Jesus himself was possessed of the devil. Now, the topic of demons is something we don't hear a whole lot about. Let me just state right off the top, first and foremost, demons are real. Demons are spiritual beings. They're believed to be fallen angels that followed Satan when he rebelled against God ages ago. Demons were and are active in the world today. As you can see from this slide, uh, their main purpose is to thwart the purposes of God. They extend Satan's authority by doing his bidding. They inflict people with diseases. They possess the bodies of men and animals to control their actions. It affects you. It opposes the spiritual growth of believers. And another thing that they do is disseminate false doctrine or teaching. Now, many liberal theologians will say that demon possession in the Bible was nothing more than a misdiagnosis of mental illness. And in fact, I had a Christian friend tell me that. And I looked him in the eye and I said, I have a question for you. Are you telling me that Jesus, our Messiah, the Son of God, God in flesh, could not distinguish between mental illness and demonic possession? And I always like that sound when you hear somebody's brain lock up, when they realize that they had not thought through what they had embraced. Liberal theologians have a very low view of Scripture, and they have a very low view of Jesus here at Calvary Vision. We esteem highly God's word, and Jesus Christ is God. In regards to demons, some people go too far and ascribe every problem and every sickness to demonic activity, 
and others simply dismiss demons as nonsense. And perhaps C.S. Lewis said it best, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race or people can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hell, the materialist or the magician with the same delight. To ignore demons is to do so at your own risk. I just wanted to share with you some interesting events that uh, Brenda and I had encountered about a year and a half ago when we were preparing for the retreat that we did at Tuscarora. And this, is, this went on several months before the actual retreat. Uh, we had planned to go on a camping trip uh, to do some brainstorming preparation Pick the weekend, perfect weather. We get hit, we were camping out in a tent, we get hit with this violent freak thunderstorm in the middle of the night. A few weeks later, we went to another camp to do the same thing, to get away, to pray, to brainstorm. We had a cabin, or on the way to the cabin, we had our low tire pressure alarm that came on for no reason at all. We checked it out, it was just a distraction. We got to the cabin that night, we heard rustling and the no uh, noises in the cabin that we could not account for. And perhaps one of the strangest things that happened was I had a headlamp, you know, when you go camping so you can have your hands free and see what you're doing at night. Well, this headlamp had two colors on it, a red light and a white light. And the red light never worked, which was fine. But in the middle of the night, the red light came on. Leading up to the retreat, I was on travel for my job, and I was awoken in the middle of the night by hearing a tapping that I could not account for in my room. It sounded like pipes expanding when they heat up, but that was not the heating system that was in the room. During this time, one of our cats became very deathly ill, which was a major distraction for us. We've been to our house, we have a fish pond, the fish have always been very healthy, we had a dead fish that appeared out of nowhere. Shortly thereafter, we found a dead bird on our back porch. During this time, we had a, a falling out with some very dear friends. The day of the retreat, we're up at the camp, up at the Tuscarora Center, and I don't know if you remember Lisa, who did the babysitting. We get a call from her that her car is not working. At the retreat, the, uh, we had some technical issues with the computer and the projector, and Sam had to work his magic to, uh, to make things uh, better. And in our cottage at night, we heard a tapping. And in the morning of the last um, session, I woke up at four in the morning as sick as a dog. I couldn't even stand up. And um, couldn't go to breakfast. Brenda went to breakfast and she shared with others and they prayed. And I can say it was the first time in my life that I actually felt uh, the effect of God's people praying as I was able to recover enough to do the last session, if you remember, at that retreat. Now, I cannot definitively prove to you that all these things are demonic in nature, 
uh, but from my perspective, it was certainly very suspicious. And to us, it seemed that we were facing opposition during the entire time that we were working on the retreat. The Apostle Paul warns us about demons. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Maybe you've encountered strange things and maybe never thought to attribute it to demons, or maybe what I just told you, you've never experienced anything like that, and maybe it's because you're not involved in actively pursuing Christ or advancing his kingdom. If that's the case, then Satan and his demons have no reason to bother you. But if you do seek to advance God's kingdom, Peter warns us, he says, be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We stand against satanic and demonic activity by praying against it. And I would just humbly encourage you to pray for protection from demonic activity for this church and for your own personal lives. And last week when the clicker didn't work, it was not because of demons, it was because I forgot to turn the on switch on the... Uh... All right, that was a little bit of a heavy subject. The main uh, point of Mark chapter 3, <coughs> I spilled over a little bit into Mark chapter 3, uh, the beginning of last week, uh, and tied that in with chapter 2, but in Mark chapter 3, there's five different sessions, five different things that that caught my attention, and it had to do with the, the common phrase of why people came to Jesus. And the first reason was that people came to Jesus was because they wanted something. And a great number of people heard all that he was doing, and they came to him. They came to him from great distances because they wanted to be healed. It says that they th were thronging him and mobbing him just to touch him so they could be healed. He was being so badly pressed by the crowd that he had a boat. He was walking along the shore, had a boat, so he could get in the boat just to get some distance from the crowd. It says a little bit later in, in Mark 3 that he couldn't even eat a meal because people were just being relentless in, in wanting to be healed. These people were willing to go to great lengths to find Jesus, but they were simply pursuing him because they wanted their physical needs met. So a question to you is, when you come to Jesus, is it only because you want something? Is he essentially a Santa Claus where you provide a list to him of all the things that you want? I think you would agree that it would be rude or annoying if people only came to you when they wanted something. A second reason that people came to Jesus was that they were called to ministry. And he, Jesus, summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. It says that Jesus went up on a mountain. In Matthew's account of the story, it says that he prayed all night. And it's interesting, the mountains are, seem to be a place of communion with God. Moses went up on a mountain. Elijah was up on a mountain. And maybe a little lesson for us is for us to be better connected with God, maybe we need to find a nice solitary place where we can get away and we can hear from him. But up on the mountain, Jesus called the 12 apostles. These are men whom he wanted. They came to him. They responded to his call, 
and that they could send them out, that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. But it was not only that, but they were called for something else, and I hope you don't miss his point. And he appointed the twelve so that they would be with him. The disciples were first called to be with Jesus. And the point is, Jesus will call us to himself before he calls us to something. Being connected to Jesus is absolutely essential to doing ministry. And perhaps this was their true reason for why they responded was to be with him. Question to you, is Jesus calling you into ministry or deeper involvement? And are you responding to that calling? I'm sure that the disciples fully didn't realize what they were getting into, but they followed Jesus anyway. I'm sure Jesus had proved himself to them by the miracles that he did, and that gave them confidence to respond. And I ask you to think about what God's done in your life and how he's proved himself to you, and let that give you courage and confidence to respond to whatever he's calling you to do. And by all means, don't get too busy in ministry that you forget to spend time with Jesus. The third reason the people came to Jesus was to criticize him. And here we got the wonderful religious leaders of the day, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. And this group came down to discredit him. As I said earlier, they claimed that Jesus' powers were demonic in nature. They said that he was possessed by Beelzebub, and that word means Lord of the Flies. And Beelzebub was a deity of the local uh, people in that area. And it was a name, Beelzebub was a name uh, that the Jews used as a synonym or an epitaph for Satan. And so the people were, the scribes were saying basically that Jesus was possessed by the devil himself. And no one likes being falsely accused, but claiming Jesus to be possessed of the devil was just absolutely malicious. So I don't know about you, maybe you don't believe in Jesus and you doubt him and you want to discredit him. Is it easier for you to believe in demons than the Son of God, just like the religious leaders of the day? I personally find it amazing that the religious leaders were more willing to acknowledge the forces of evil than the presence and the power of God. But today, it seems like people are very similar and that they would rather watch shows like The Good Witch, Supernatural, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Harry Potter. Shows that hint or display some kind of supernatural power, but yet these people won't read the Bible or follow Jesus. And the fourth reason that people came to him was rather interesting. It was from an unusual group. Uh, they came to silence Jesus. Then his mother and his brothers arrived. Why did they come to Jesus? They went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he was losing his senses. How about that for a vote of confidence? Your own family thinks that you're losing your mind. So they wanted to keep him quiet. You see, the religious leaders had already started a plot to destroy Jesus because they thought he was a false teacher. And back in that day, many false teachers were sometimes thought to be motivated or inspired by demons. And the official penalty in the scripture for misleading God's people this way was death. 
So thus, Jesus' family had reason to reach him before the legal experts did to try to shut him up and keep him out of trouble. Now, if you think I'm stretching this a little bit, the Greek word for take custody of has some strong undertones to it. It can mean to subdue, to seize, to apprehend, to restrain, to hinder, to repress. It's a word you would use to describe a criminal that you're trying to keep safe or keep away from the public. Now, we don't know the exact motivation for Jesus' family's actions. Maybe they were concerned about Jesus, or maybe they were embarrassed by what he said. Either way, they wanted to keep him out of the public and shut him up. And maybe we treat Jesus like his family did. They liked him, but they wanted to shut him up. Maybe we want to be associated with Jesus, but we're, to a certain extent, ashamed of him. Do we talk about him in public? Do we introduce him to our friends? Maybe we want to restrain him, and we don't want to give him every area of our lives because we know he's going to stir things up and do things that we're not going to like. But the last group, the reason for them coming was to do his will. And again, it doesn't say these people came, but they got there somehow, and they were sitting around him. And these were people that were seated. They were not mobbing him. They were not trying to touch him. They were not pressing in on him. They were seated. They wanted to do his will. And because of that, Jesus described these people as being closer to him than his physical, earthly family members. And to allow religious uh, ties within a religious community to be deeper and stronger than one's family is a very radical straight statement and basically unheard of in Judaism. But that's how important it is to Jesus that we, his followers, fully obey him and do his will. And maybe we can learn something from this group of people. Let me go through three points here. You have a blank page on your uh, bulletin. Um, the first point, this might be a little bit subtle, is um, these people were inside with Jesus. He was their priority. It says, and his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. So Jesus was on the inside of this building, and his family was on the outside. And again, this might be a little bit secure, but there were people seated around Jesus on the inside, and basically, they made Jesus a priority so that they got there early to hear what he had to say. They were eager to hear. They were eager to learn. Others who got there late had to be outside. The question is, do you order your life so that Jesus is a priority to you? The second point is that they were prepared. The crowd was seated, sitting around him. They were in a position to listen and learn. Do we structure our schedules and set enough time aside to listen to Jesus? During our prayer times, do we quickly run through our agenda, um, giving him our list of things, but we never allow him a chance to speak to us? When we take time to read the Bible, do we pause and reflect upon its personal message for us? Can we mentally set aside all of our daily duties and distractions so we can focus on him? 
And here's a question. Are we harboring any unconfessed sin in our lives that interferes with our relationship with him? We need to prepare ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually to, to receive what Jesus is saying to us. And the final point is that they were close to Jesus. In answering them, he said, who are my mother and brothers? Looking around, looking, looking about at those who are seeing around him, he said, behold, my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The question is, are you closer to Jesus than your own family members? Is he a higher priority to you than your spouse or your children? We can only be effective for Jesus if we're close to him. So in closing, why do you come to Jesus? Do you want something from him? Has he called you for a specific purpose? Do you come to Jesus simply because you're drawn to some supernatural phenomenon? Do you come to Jesus, but do you try to keep him quiet so he doesn't offend anybody? Do you come to him to listen and learn to do his will? Do you come with a heart of love and devotion for him? Maybe there's other reasons. Is it because of maybe some family or personal tradition? Maybe you feel guilty if you don't come to him. Or maybe you come to him because of some superstitious belief that he's a good luck charm that'll keep bad things from happening to you. Maybe you don't know why you come to Jesus, or maybe you don't want to admit why you come to Jesus, but he knows. He can clearly see every thought and motive that we have. We cannot hide our hearts from God. Only a genuine connection or relationship with Jesus will last Otherwise, we can very easily see how people abandon Jesus. In John chapter 6, it talks about a large crowd following Jesus. Then he spoke to them, he addressed them, he gave them some challenging words. And many stopped following him because he had disappointed them. Then, of course, there were the crowds on Palm Sunday that hailed him as king as he came into Jerusalem. Only a few days later, though, the same crowd shouted, crucify him, when he disappointed them by not overthrowing the Romans. So when Jesus disappoints you, do you forsake him? Many people come to Jesus for the wrong reasons, but many people come for the right reasons. Maybe you're in that last group in Mark chapter 3, you sit quietly and listen to what he says. You're not pressing in on him. You're not always asking him for what he can do for you. And maybe you realize, like in any relationship, that there's communication, interaction, and intimacy. And it's interesting to note that as we end chapter 3, that talks about why people came to Jesus, that chapter 4 opens up with the parable of the four soils. You know, four responses that people have to God's word. I'm personally enjoying this study of Mark. I'm seeing things I haven't seen before, but it's obvious that Mark wrote his gospel with structure and purpose. He's telling his audience about who Jesus is, 
but he's also making people seriously consider how they should respond to Jesus. And it's no different now as it is then. We have to decide how we're going to respond to Jesus. And if you've never responded to Jesus or came to him to accept him as your Savior, I invite you to do so. One of the major purposes that Jesus and Jesus' life was to come and die and pay the penalty for our sins that we could never pay for ourselves. It's a gift that we receive by faith. And all he wants from us is our full faith and trust in who he is. He's God and what he did, which was pay, and only he could pay for the penalty of our sins. And for the rest of us who've accepted Jesus, uh, I'm a realist. I know that we all stumble and fall. We all have distractions. And no matter how far you've walked away, for whatever reason, God is gracious, and it's only one step back. God has invested a tremendous amount in us, and what he has invested is the death of Jesus, and he's not going to walk away from that investment. So it's only one step back. And I just hope that the words today have encouraged you to take some time to do some reflection in your own heart as to why you come to Jesus. And I hope that we can encourage each other as we're in this battle together we're fighting not against flesh and blood. We're fighting against dark forces. We need each other. We're a body. And I just pray that we can encourage each other as we go forward. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. 